What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. It's episode 32, so shout out to two of the greatest to ever wear the number, Sandy Koufax, Magic Johnson. That's right, two of the greatest ever to play basketball and baseball here in Los Angeles. You could probably guess what I'm going to talk about today. If you've listened to this podcast at all, I probably drop his name once every single podcast. It's required. And if you're a fan of the podcast, I think it's required for you to be a fan of this guy. In my opinion, he's the greatest pitcher of all time. The best one I've ever seen. And that's Clayton Kershaw, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he might be returning to what he once was. And that's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he hasn't even had down years. I think the first year he ever had an ERA over three was last season. You know how many dudes in the big leagues will take that? First 10 years of his career, his ERA dropped. He is absolutely on a run that you may never see ever again. Because I know, sure as hell, if you're listening to this podcast, you never saw Walter Johnson pitch. You didn't see Koufax pitch. You didn't see Nolan Ryan pitch. You never saw the big dogs pitch that are coming up when Clayton Kershaw pitches now because it seems like he's linked to every damn name in the books. And yesterday... And a 5-1 win over the Diamondbacks. He took a no-hitter into the sixth inning. Dave Roberts decided to take him out after 99 pitches. After giving up a hit that Kike Hernandez almost made the play to keep the intact no-hitter. But Kershaw in that game became the third youngest pitcher in baseball history to reach 2,500 strikeouts. That's right. The only Hall of Famers... To do it at a younger age was Nolan Ryan. We know he pitched till he was about 58. And Walter Johnson did it at 31 years old. And you want to know another name Clayton Kershaw linked to? Clayton Kershaw at 32 years old, 168 days, past Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez, who did it at 32 years, 221 days. And a lot of people will say Pedro Martinez might be the best pitcher ever in the modern era. We know how great his 99 season was. But for all the postseason criticism Clayton Kershaw gets, we need to be reminded of how good this dude is. And I'm always going to remind you. Listen, I take note. Last year in the playoffs, when the Dodgers got outed by the Washington Nationals, when Clayton Kershaw gave up those back-to-back home runs, never should have been in the game. That's Dave Roberts' fault. There were people on my Instagram feed throwing his jersey in fire pits, running it over with cars. I've had debates with people, and I know those people, who are down on Clayton Kershaw. We'll never get it done when he's the top dog. Well, this season, it looks like vintage Kershaw. In six starts, he's 5-1 and one with a 5.1.50 ERA and 41 strikeouts. It's hard to find dudes like this guy. And I know he missed his first couple starts of the season. I know the back flared up again. But he's doing something right. And people need to take note. He reached 2,500 strikeouts in his 353rd career game. That's only behind Randy Johnson, who did it in 313, Nolan Ryan, who did it in 338, and Max Scherzer, who did it in 344. He's now 18th on the all-time list. Past Christy Mathewson. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. 
Should I keep naming the names that this guy belongs to? I think people need to know. I can't stand when this guy gets absolutely crushed every single postseason. Some of it's warranted, some of it's not. I've beaten 2017 World Series into the ground because it upsets me because the whole narrative is completely different if Clayton Kershaw isn't getting picked off his signs the entire Game 5. But the Dodgers have won 18 out of their last 21 games. They've won five in a row now. They've won 10 straight at home. They got a 30-10 and 10 record. It's a 60-game season. 20 games to go, and it looks like they're the best team in baseball. And listen, we know how baseball postseason works. Anything could happen. That's when it's going to matter most. And if this is the Clayton Kershaw that we're going to have going into that postseason, I feel damn good about it. But shout out to my GOAT, Clayton Kershaw, for reaching 2,500 strikeouts and being the third youngest pitcher in MLB history to do it. So now let's pivot to the NBA. In the NBA, the last two days have been wild. Two days ago, in game two between the Miami Heat and Milwaukee Bucks, the big talk was about Giannis. Is he the guy for the Milwaukee Bucks? There's already whispers that if they get bounced, he might dip out. He might be on ESPN with a decision show like LeBron James saying deuces to Milwaukee and headed to Miami. Let's face it, there will never be another decision in history. LeBron was a real one for doing that. And people still want to trash him. So game two, Miami-Milwaukee. It goes down to the wire. Me and my brother put a pretty penny on it. We stopped following probably eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Looked like the game was out of reach. I think Miami had a 10-point lead. I said, we're at dinner. I'll finally put my phone away. I'm that guy at dinner. It's the NBA playoffs. I'm a sports nerd. I'm obsessed with sports. If there's a game to be seen, I'm plopping my phone up on the water container, whatever it is. It's going to be out. So I shut it down for about five minutes. Then I go back on my phone. My group text starts blowing up. And I go, what? What's happening? And all of a sudden, there's five seconds left in the game. It's 114-111. Miami leads it. Chris Middleton takes a three. Goran Dragic stands in his landing space with his hand straight up in the air. If you're taught in basketball, put your hand straight up in the air. And you won't get the call. But then the rule book says you have to let the shooter land. So they call the foul. In a pivotal moment, Chris Middleton gets three free throws and a chance to tie the game against the Miami Heat. And Miami's up 1-0. If they get a 2-0 lead on the Milwaukee Bucks, that's big time. I don't think anyone expected Miami to win the series. For them to be up 2-0, they're on the fast track to do it. So Middleton knocks down all three. And then Miami comes up the court I think a couple seconds are left in the game Jimmy Butler in the corner with just seconds ticking off gets closed out by two guys one being Giannis at the end when the ball has already left his hand Jimmy's still in the air Giannis taps him on the back 
Same referee who made the call against Goran Dragic for the three free throws for the Milwaukee Bucks calls the foul on Giannis. And with zero seconds left on the clock, Jimmy Butler gets to take free throws to end the game. And I'm watching this game on, I propped it back up on the dinner table and I said, what are they reviewing? Why are they hovered around the screen so often these days in the NBA? And why now? Did, did someone review something where Miami's actually going to get a foul call off this review? Turns out the foul was already called. They were just checking to see if he got the ball off in time, which he did. But another ticky-tack foul in the waning minutes of this basketball game. And the term that you've heard if you're a sports fan comes up. Was it a makeup call? And referees will go to their deathbed saying there's no such thing as makeup calls, but we all freaking know there's such thing as makeup calls. The same referee calls that foul on Giannis. And I mean, no basketball game ever should have 0.0 seconds left on the ticker and a guy shooting free throws to win it. That happened in the All-Star game this year. Expedition game. That's the only time that shit should ever happen. And even that was boring. So when Jimmy Butler goes up and before the game, whoever was doing sideline reporting called him the Clutch King. Let's ease up on that. And let's probably not call him Clutch for knocking down a free throw with 0.0 seconds. And if he misses both, probably gets crushed for it, but they're going to overtime anyways. And I'm not calling him a Clutch King for making a free throw. I'm just not. You're Jimmy Butler. You shouldn't make free throws. You're in the NBA, you should be able to knock down one of two free throws. So the Miami Heat escape, they win that game, they go up 2-0 against the Milwaukee Bucks, and the whole referee debate comes up. Are there makeup calls? Were they good calls, bad calls? Charles Barkley said they were the two worst calls he's ever seen in NBA history. Like I always say, take anything that man says with a grain of salt, but he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game, so I'm going to listen to him. Two of the worst calls of all time. Doris Burke in live action, said that Goran Dragic call was bad. The NBA has a two-minute report that they released the next day. They said they were correct on it. They stood behind their referees. I would just love for once, for one time, whenever anything comes up with officials in any sport, I would like them to take questions. Because we always give them the benefit of the doubt. I know human error is part of the game. And at this point, human error might have been taken out of it, of any sport. Because seriously, these guys are at the monitor looking up replays constantly and calling flagrants for people sniffing each other. Which may be valent in the middle of a pandemic. But let's be real. Please, I would like to talk to this referee and ask him, you know he's going to deny that it's a not or... It's not a makeup call, but at least get in front of a camera and let's talk to you. Let's talk to you, bud. How do you make those two calls? Let the dudes play. These are professional athletes, the greatest at that, playing for an NBA championship, and you're going to call those two fouls. You placed yourself in the middle of an NBA game. Who wants to do that? You made yourself the story, and the story should never be the officials. And it's a shame we had to do that. But hey, the Bucks are down 2-0. They're down but not out. 
Because let's move on to the other Eastern Conference semis. Boston Celtics had a 2-0 lead over the Toronto Raptors. The defending champion Toronto Raptors at that. I think people forget that. Kawhi Leonard left. And people kind of counted them out. They got the two seed in the East. So they're down 2-0. And yesterday, this is why basketball is the greatest. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm watching these games late night. I got home from work. It was on at work. A random dude actually ran up to me because I was talking ball with him. And I was doing something else. And he goes, dude, the Raptors just won on a last second shot. You won't believe it. I'm like, who shot it? He's like, I, I don't know. But they won, man. So the Raptors cut into the Boston Celtics 2-1 deficit. It's a 2-1 Boston series lead. But how it happened was absolutely fantastic if you're a basketball fan. So we know here in Los Angeles that 0.4 seconds will always be remembered. It was when Derek Fisher caught the ball and threw it in the air and made it against the San Antonio Spurs in a playoff series back in, uh, was it 04? I don't know when it was. I think it was 04 because I went to school the next day and tried to imitate the shot and I was pissed off that Derek Fisher was left-handed because I had to do it from the right side. It didn't look as cool. So 0.5 seconds are left on the clock. Boston leads. And what happened next, I'm going to read a paragraph by Sam Amick in The Athletic because it literally describes it in the perfect way. So here we go. The Toronto Raptors had just stunned the Boston Celtics in Game 3 of these Eastern Conference semifinals with one of the prettiest plays you'll ever see. Six-footer Kyle Lowry launching that rainbow sideline pass over the raised arms of seven-foot-five Taco Fall on the right. The ball landing in OG Ananobi's ready hands in the left corner with just .5 seconds on the clock and his three traveling over the scrambling Jalen Brown and into the net to save the season of these proud defending champs. Game blouses 104-103. So if you don't know, and this was, I was shocked. There's a guy in the NBA named Taco Fall. He's seven foot five. So when he raises his hands, it probably feels like he's 14 feet tall. And a couple days ago, you saw SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander for Oklahoma City, have a chance at an inbounds pass against Houston in a game seven. And Oklahoma City poorly couldn't even get the ball in. The Raptors have 0.5 to make a play on this one. So Boston implements... Taco Fall. He stands in front of Kyle Lowry, Toronto point guard, and it must feel like the world is coming down on him. Kyle Lowry mentions in this article that no, it wasn't that hard. Taco was fully pressed on him, but Kyle Lowry took, took a couple steps back. And that's important to note because in a real game and real arenas with the courtside seats right behind Kyle Lowry, he's not able to do that. So in the bubble, in these ballrooms, Kyle Lowry takes a couple steps back to get this pass in. And Boston goes into a zone. So communication is key. And in basketball, if you've ever played one game of pickup, you know communication is the number one thing. It's the number one thing in life in general. So Boston wants to go into a zone. Mark Gasol sets two screens. He sets one for Fred Van Vliet. And he sets one for Siakam, who Lowry at the end of the game said those were the first two options. Jalen Brown 
is pushed inside the key. They don't want the ball to get thrown in to Marc Gasol. OG starts on one corner, runs to the next. Maybe the easiest job on planet Earth. Jason Tatum's on him at first. Yells out to Brown, hey, OG's going this way. OG ends up on the other corner. Jalen's so focused on Mark Gasol in the middle. Mark Gasol, for a split second, after setting two screens, steps in front of Jalen Brown. Ball gets lobbed over. Prettiest pass you'll ever see. Into OG's hands. OG has 1.5 to get it off. Throws it up. Jalen Brown comes within inches. If Mark Gasol doesn't step in front of him or make some kind of contact with Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown probably has the block that James Harden had a couple of days ago in the Game 7 against Oklahoma City. So Jalen Brown just inches away, doesn't get to it. The ball goes in. Toronto wins it. Bedlam ensues. Toronto's jumping up and down. And Sam Amick has a great quote from the great Fred Van Fleet. Fred Van Fleet had a hell of a game. In that third quarter, he finally started to pick it up. And that's when Toronto kind of got going. And in this game, the final two minutes, you felt like Toronto was done. Boston had a couple of beautiful plays, dunks, especially the one at the end. It kind of gets sucks because Kemba Walker had a hell of a game. He was March Madness Kemba in this one, nailing threes. And at the end, he had a beautiful pass to Daniel Tice to take the lead with a slam dunk. And after every dunk, you just thought Toronto was gone. But Boston had a couple of shots that they missed, which kept it close at the end. But the Raptors guard who had finally finished a television interview. This is a quote from Sam Amick's article. On the floor where it all went down, walked briskly by his basketball bosses with a message that should concern the Celtics. They fucked up, he said of the Boston squad that was so close to being up 3-0 in the series. They fucked up now. This was hope. This was a chance. A season saved. A champ revived, Sam Amick noted. Crazy. seconds. I mean, you got all of basketball crammed into that one. A beautiful pass. A 7'5 monster in Taco Fall. Communication on defense. That's how you win championships. And a guy knocking down a shot in .5 seconds to win the game and make this a series. And I'll be honest... I'm immediately after this shot went through, I tweeted out, I don't know how the Celtics come back from that one. And I think it's along the same lines as what Fred Van Fleet said. They fucked up. Because this one hurts. In the back of Boston's mind, and Jalen Brown talked about it, it's a disaster how that happened. How they let that shot go in. Because it'll always be in the back of the Boston Celtics players' mind that they should be up 3-0, and this one might get away. It might have slipped through their fingers in .5 seconds. But that was some beautiful basketball on display for .5 seconds. I hope everyone saw it. I hope everyone, I rewinded it five different times to try to see who should have guarded who. I don't know who gets blamed. Probably Brad Stevens gets blamed. Because they left the one guy open that really they probably weren't worried about and there's five dudes on a court I'm no coach but probably should have played man in that situation because there's no way he, he's, he gets left open no way and shout out to him he's been playing great he's been knocking down every shot 
that's been available to him. Let's move on to the next game. Not much of a game at all. And I said before, I texted my group chat, I said, hey, this is the lock of the century. Clippers minus nine and a half. Why? Because Denver just went through seven games against the Utah Jazz. And you could see it on the court that they were tanked. They were tired. I mean, Jamal Murray went on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt minutes after defeating the Utah Jazz this week. And Scott Van Pelt mentioned that, hey, how do you come back two days later and take on a team like the Los Angeles Clippers? And Jamal Murray was stunned. He said, what? You mean we don't have two days off in between? And Scott Van Pelt said, no, you guys play Thursday. You only have one day off. And then Chris Mannix went on the Dan Patrick show and said that Denver openly in practice on on Wednesday was talking about how exhausted they were. So I texted the group chat. I said, hey, I'm an old man. I listen to sports talk radio. Denver's tanked. Minus nine and a half. Lock it in. Clippers are going to roll over the Denver Nuggets, which is exactly what happened. The Clippers won 120 to 97. Do I think Denver comes back in this one? No. I said it on the last podcast. They'd be lucky to get to six games. I think the Clippers mop the floor with them, and they're going to go on to the Western Conference Finals. And that other Western Conference semifinal starts tonight between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Houston Rockets. And if you're a Lakers fan, yes, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, they might strike some fear into you. And if you watched Houston play all year, they could shoot the lights out. And the Los Angeles Lakers, the worst three-point shooting team, I don't know how they're going to compete with that Houston shooting ability. But here's the deal. You have LeBron James and you have Anthony Davis. Houston doesn't have a guy over six foot eight. Anthony Davis should eat well in this series, should probably average 30 points, 15 rebounds. And if he doesn't, that'll be a shame. And I think LeBron James will play an important role because he's LeBron James, and I think he controls the pace of basketball games better than maybe anyone outside of Magic Johnson in the history of the game. And that's what they're going to have to do. This cannot be a run-and-chuck game like Houston wants to do, where they take 40-something threes a game. Because Los Angeles, the Lakers, their role players, Caldwell Pope, Danny Green, they won't be able to shoot with the best of them. And Houston could get hot. And they got two of the better scorers in the game. James Harden may be one of the best scorers, the best scorer in NBA history. So control the pace. Get the ball to Anthony Davis, let him eat, and protect the paint. I think rim protectors are going to be huge in this series. Dwight Howard is going to play a role. Because the drive and kick will be there. You can't let James Harden get hot with easy baskets at the rim. And don't try to shoot with the Houston Rockets. Slow the game down. That's what the Lakers are going to have to do. That's my take. I think the Lakers will win this series. I think Houston will give them. They'll get hot. And the Lakers won't be able to catch him because the three-pointers are going to be flying at rapid races. But the Lakers will win this series, and we're going to get our Western Conference Finals matchup. That's all I got for basketball. It's Labor Day weekend. There is some college football on Saturday. The smaller schools are going to play. I think on Monday, actual Labor Day, is Navy first BYU. I'm excited to watch some college football. The NFL starts next week. Fire me up for that couple signings happen. Leonard Fournette, if you were a fantasy owner, one named Eric Morales, who spent $51 in an auction on him. 
you might be saved. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by Tom Brady, head coach Bruce Arians, brought him in. I don't know how big of a role he's going to play. I know Tom Brady in New England had a bunch of different running backs. You had Burkhead, you had James White, you had Sonny Michelle. So I think it might work out there. They also have LaShawn McCoy and Rojo, Ronald Jones. In other NFL news, uh, what do we have? Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs get their rings. That's not a big deal. I'm sure they're shiny and the biggest damn things you'll ever see. Shaq on inside the NBA wore a ring that was as big as my head yesterday. Dan Patrick broke some news about college football earlier today. He said the Big Ten, not out of the question that they play football this year. And the date to look out for is October 10th because that is the last date that they would be able to play and still compete for a national champion championship. And of course, that's huge news for Ohio State and Justin Fields because they're one of the top dogs of college football. How do I not know other NFL news? I think I had a botch of the week. Give me a second. Give me a second. Oh, my botch of the week. I thought it was going to be the pay-per-view, which I mentioned on last week's podcast. But I got to go back to the NBA for this one. Richard Jefferson, kind of ironic. I have a University of Arizona t-shirt on right now. Uh, Played in the league for a long time. Now he's an ESPN analyst. He made a tweet, and it made the rounds, and everyone chimed in. Which, if you're on Twitter, I think that's great for your Twitter game. But he said Giannis is more of a Pippen, not a Jordan. Which is kind of a crazy statement to make, considering... I mean, no one's comparing Giannis to Jordan yet. Let's relax. He's 25 years old. He's about to win his second MVP. He won Defensive Player of the Year this year. Does he have the potential to be one of the all-time greats? Absolutely, yes. But for Richard Jefferson to call him a Pippen, I mean, Monday morning quarterback after the foul call, is that where he got that from? Two games against Miami Heat, he wants to make that claim? You look around Giannis's team, I've been down on the Bucks supporting cast all year. You have Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton on one side. Where are they going to end up? Is there another Hall of Famer on the court playing with Giannis? Well, a lot of other dudes could say they're playing with a Hall of Famer or two. Scottie Pippen chimed in and said, who are you? Giannis is Giannis. I'm not even Giannis. He's not a Pippen, but I'm not Giannis. That dude's done more than I ever did in the NBA, even though Scottie Pippen... 50th, he's in the top 50 greatest players of all time. And then LeBron chimes in when Jay Williams says, hey, D. Wade was Jordan once to LeBron's Pippen. And if you look at that statement, LeBron led every statistical category on those Heat teams every single year. He led every stat. So Jay Williams is drunk, and then LeBron has to step in and say, hey, keep my name out of your mouth. I'm trying to win a championship at the bubble. LeBron probably shouldn't have stepped in. But Richard Jefferson, I don't even know. It's a botch that he made that absurd of a statement. But I think good for him to get everybody's blood boiled because it was talked about all week. And it gave ESPN, his employer, things to talk about for three days. So I guess shout out to him. But I hope you guys have a fantastic, wonderful holiday weekend. I'll be working. 
but I'll be watching sports. You know me. I'm obsessed. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 after 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo. Go Dodgers.